Welcome to NARAL's The Morning After. Each Thursday, our podcast brings you the latest on reproductive health care, progressive politics, and the fight to keep abortion safe and legal. NARAL's The Morning After is a production of NARAL Pro-Choice Ohio. Find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at ProChoiceOH. Enjoy the show! Hi, I'm Jamie. Hi, I'm Jasmine. Hi, I'm Gabe. Uh, Welcome back, Jasmine Burnett. Um, You were on this show a long time ago. I know. So much has happened. We were were very (laughs) grateful for you to come on uh, and talk to us um, with Latasha Mays back then about new voices. Mm -hmm. Um, What's up with new voices now? Wow. New voices has grown so much. Um, I think when we first spoke, um, when we were um, doing the podcast initially, um, we didn't even have an office space. And now we have an office space. We have two staff members in the Cleveland office. So uh, we're growing so much. And it's exciting. That's awesome. Yeah. 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 Um, So new voices for reproductive justice. Um, A lot of the stuff on your website says Pittsburgh, Mm -hmm. Um, but you are Cleveland. Yes. So I'm so happy that we're going through (laughs) a rebranding of our organization because, yes, we've expanded so quickly over the last three years. And a part of our expansion has included our rebranding and, you know, trying to get a number of people to agree on a logo is quite a tedious process. I'm sure. And so <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that um, we're going to be actually rolling um, rolling out our new brand during our Women of Color Herstory Month, which is going to happen February 15th through March 15th, 2018. Oh, awesome. Mm-hmm. I'm excited. So then it'll be it new first here. for reproductive justice. Okay. <laughs> um, so we've got a whole agenda to talk about here today. Um, we put a bit of fluff up at the top. Uh, did you watch the Emmys on Sunday? I did not watch the Emmys, but I did see so many great snippets um, from folks. And I just want to lift up Issa Rae as um, who is the creator of um, the HBO special. Um, why is it slipping my mind right now? <laughs> because that's what happens. Because that's what happens. Well, Issa Rae. She said she's rooting for all black people. And they were like, who are you rooting for? I'm rooting for all black people. And I think that she really echoed our sentiments that, you know, black folks' sentiments. Whenever we see any award show, whenever we are watching a sport, whenever we are watching anything where we're um, typically and historically um, not our, our talent, our our vision for our lives and how we present that to the world isn't honored. So I was like, that is right on point with where all of the black people, how all the black people are feeling. So it was great. And I just love just, everyone was joyous. Everyone was great. There was like queer folks of color getting awarded. It was just, it was just like dreamy. And to be in the nightmare of this political environment, those are the types of things that keep us going. Mm-hmm. And it's Issa Rae's show is insecure. It came to me. You see <laughs> <Yes>. what happens? <laughs> you just gotta move on for it from it sometimes, yes. and it like pops back in your brain again. I was gonna just have to gonna tell that you that because because I, I googled it. Yes, <laughs> yes, uh, yeah. It it was uh, it was a great. Um, uh, I thought it was a great show. Um, the highlight for me 
was also uh, a, a win for uh, a woman of color. Um, Lena Waithe won for yeah. uh, Master of None, which have you guys watched the show at all? Have not. I watched like a couple of episodes, really good. but... Okay, really. so uh, she's the first black woman ever to win in the category of writing for a comedy series. So she won... Um, along with Aziz Ansari, who everybody knows from uh, Parks and Recreation. Mm-hmm. Um, he is in the second season of Master of None. Um, you know, he uh, is Indian American, um, and him, uh, he and his writing partner won in the same category last year. Um, so, you know, all of the people who are rooting for Southeast Asia, mm-hmm. um, you know, they they were very excited mm-hmm. Um mm-hmm. Uh, you know, for for him to win. Um, But then when he won this year, uh, it was co-writing with Lena Waithe. Um, They won for an episode uh, in the second season that I cannot talk about enough. Um, It's called Thanksgiving. Um, So the show is good. Like the first season is definitely worth watching. The second season, um, they really get the writing right. Um, But there's this episode that's almost like a standalone episode. Like you don't need to know the plot for the rest of the characters Mm -hmm. or anything. Um, It's uh, just Aziz um, and his friend who's played by uh, Lena Waithe, um, the two of them in the early nineties. And so it starts off with a couple of these child actors and it's every year. And I'm not giving away any Mm -hmm. spoilers here. Um, This is established in like the first scene. It's them on Thanksgiving every year. Because, you know, they are this, um, you know, black family in New York, uh, several women. Uh, Angela Bassett plays the mom. So immediately, you know, she's not in the rest of the series. But you're like, wait a minute, that's Angela Bassett. Something's going on here. That's that's your first clue that this is going to be a good episode. It's the two of them at Thanksgiving as children because these black women, uh, three black women in the household are having, you know, Thanksgiving Mm -hmm. dinner. And because he's Indian, his family doesn't do Thanksgiving. So they mm-hmm. invite him over and he just becomes part of the family. Um, and so you sort of see the episode through his eyes. Um, but uh, if you've watched the entire series, you know that she's a gay black woman. Mm-hmm. But we're meeting her for the first time now as a child. And so we see these series of you know what their Thanksgiving dinner was like when they were like eight or 12 and 16 and you Mm -hmm. see them grow up and it's some of the like most tender, beautiful writing telling her story Hmm. of being a black lesbian Mm -hmm. through a series of consecutive Thanksgiving dinners. It's amazing storytelling. I definitely need to watch that (laughs) as a black lesbian. um, Yeah. I, I think that, um, Lena, I have not seen that show and it's because, you know, with work and travel, I don't have much time to keep sure. up with what's going on. Um, but I love that she took a picture, like she was photographed with her partner and it was a very affectionate picture and it wasn't like, oh, we're out, but we're not trying to act like we're together. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you know, because that tends to happen too. Uh-huh. Um, but they were just very much together and very much out and proud and, that for me feels good. I'm coming up on my 20th gay anniversary um, in 2018. Um, so that that meant a lot to me to see to see that. Yeah, yeah, that's awesome. So you got to check that episode. It's in the second season. The rest of the season's great. Yeah, um, but that episode, um, you know, it it was just uh, 
Just a terrific episode. Yeah. So highly recommended. Sure. Um, Donald Glover also won uh, in the Emmys. He's the first black man to win for the uh, directing category um, mm-hmm. for his show Atlanta. Um, and what's, I think, amazing there is here he's directing this TV show and winning awards for it, but then he also put out, like, the most amazing album. <laughs> <laughs> you know, Childish Gambino. Yes. It's just incredible music. So to be doing both of those things at Great. the same time, that's amazing So amazingly, yes. Mm-hmm. Um, but then the thing that people got all angry about in the Emmys, and, and I'm not saying that they're wrong to be angry, was Sean Spicer got this big cameo. Mm-hmm. And everybody's so angry about that. So I, I think when people have opinions on Sean Spicer, they're totally entitled to. Um, but I worry that that becomes a distraction. Mm-hmm. Sure. Yeah. Yeah, that's what tends to happen. You know, you kind of toss something in there to distract folks, and then you kind of get away from the meat of what you're actually trying to talk about. Right. Yeah. Yeah, I think it, w- it was interesting for sure. It was, it was hilarious actually to watch the because nobody knew it was coming. So mm-hmm. like the the cameras were perfectly poised on a couple of people who like it had really amazed like the <gasps> shocked faces on everybody. And Melissa McCarthy's face was hilarious, but you know everybody was kind of shocked that he was actually there. But yeah, I mean I totally agree that you know the way they celebrated him putting fake news out there into the world on behalf of this administration was not probably the best decision ever. But no, I agree. All these things are, are distractions about what's really going on in a lot of ways. Right. You know, yeah, fake news is bad and that celebrating that is definitely a bad thing, but they're about to, you know, repeal the Affordable Care Act and they're about to, you know, repeal DACA and all of these really, really bad things that we need to keep talking about. Right. Yeah, that that's the question that comes into my mind is and and it was the same thing during a lot of the sort of side discussions that happened during the Charlottesville thing. Mm-hmm. You know, there's there was very important issues to talk about. The fact that somebody died was important. The fact that you had these neo-Nazis in the streets, that was important to talk about. And then there was like stupid stuff on the side, like Tina Fey and her sheet cake thing. Mm-hmm. And I kind of see Sean Spicer as being the same thing, you know, how do we determine when there's so much discussion, you know, especially on social media of a thing, what is really worth our time and what is just complete crap that we should disregard because we're just spinning gears worrying about something that doesn't actually impact people's lives. Or it's like, could we organize ourselves and say, okay, you're going to take, we're all going to take a day. Where we're going to identify <laughs> what what is critical about the news because honestly it is overwhelming, mm-hmm. right. um, and to continuously things happen every day and to connect it to the thing that happened the day before that and the day before that, it's like where do how do we how do we make sense of it? Mm-hmm. That that is where I am with the news. It's like sometimes I'm really really into it. And then most times I just back all the way up and get like updates through CNN or what have you um, because I, it's just seeing the talking heads is overwhelming for me yeah. Yeah. And, um, and seeing how convicted they are around harming people um, and putting that message out there is challenging and it's traumatizing. So um, yeah, I think that we need, to, we need to group up and figure mm-hmm. that out. Yeah, I feel like there was a lot of, like, right after the inauguration, there was, I had a couple of friends who were keeping the daily rundown of, like, the crazy shit that happened today, because 
it's all important to a degree. I mean, we needed to have the conversation about the sheet cake. Did we need to have as much of the conversation about it? Possibly not. You know, we right. needed to point out that Sean Spicer being there and celebrating fake news is bad, but does it need to be the focus of what we talk about? So, like, right. those little things do matter because they add up to this broader culture that we live in of bullcrap. I'm <laughs> trying not to cuss. And, um, but so, you know, I feel like we were trying to be vigilant on that at the beginning. And then I think it did. Yeah. It got so over. I mean, yeah. I would go to this person's Facebook page every day and like start right. to try to see. And then like, it's like, oh, so I think we stopped like paying as much attention and we need to not do that because yeah. it is important in all those ways. But and I think when I think about the news, I think about an experience I just had at the National Association of Black Journalists Conference mm. in New Orleans. And Amarosa Manigault Newman was asked to speak on a police brutality panel. And I really didn't understand why. Um, but she was invited. They wanted to have a balanced narrative. She was presenting in front of journalists who write and um, are talking heads for many outlets. And she said some really challenging things. So I think that you know, our, the media is trying to be balanced by having folks from the administration come in and maybe see how they are, interact with, you know, the broader uh, community of folks. Uh, but I don't think it ever ends well when they do that. <laughs> so, you know, maybe they need to think about their message right. and their representatives. Mm-hmm. And let's start there. Right. You know, especially when we've got an entire uh, we've got an entire administration that's clearly built on creating distractions. Mm -hmm. You know, so many things that the Trump White House does. It's it's very transparent to me that they're just creating something to make people go off and talk about this. Mm -hmm. You know, this topic, whatever it is that they've kicked up. Um. And, you know, pay no attention to the evil things that we're doing over here because here's this horrible distraction. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, and and I think to a large part we have more than just this administration. We have a society full of systems that do that. Yeah. Um, So, you know, it's... It's all fear. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But keeping focus (laughs) on, you know, on fighting down actual threats... Uh, and then lifting up good programs uh, yeah. is is where we should be putting our attention. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, speaking of good programs, <laughs> you transitioned in the exact it. way that my brain was about to. Good job, Gabe. You read yeah. my mind. <laughs> so, so, go ahead. So you keyed us into some amazing polling before it was even really publicly out there, which was fabulous and amazing. Yes. And we appreciated it from a project called in our own voice. And mm-hmm. I wanted to spend some time talking about that today. Cause mm-hmm. I started, I, you sent me the link the, the day I asked for it. And I started reading the very long, amazing report. And I had to actually like physically force myself to close the window <laughs> on my computer. Cause I had other yeah. work to do. So it's really amazing. And I want people to know about it. So the In Our Own Voice is a national black reproductive justice agenda. It's a federal strategy to make sure that um, we establish a leadership voice for black women at the national level, that we build a coordinated grassroots movement for black women, um, specifically looking at issues of abortion access, contraceptive equity, and comp sex ed. Uh, We also want to engage and motivate 
Um, black women as a traditionally underrepresented group. Uh, we have a strong voting power, um, which was evidenced in this last uh, presidential election uh -huh. to the tune of 94%. So uh, we did some listening sessions. That, so let me back up a bit. So In Our Own Voice is a collective, is an organization that brings together black RJ-led organizations across the country. Okay. My organization, um, New Voices for Reproductive Justice, we represent Pennsylvania and Ohio. There are, there's Sister Song, or Sister Reach in Memphis, Tennessee, Black Women for Wellness in Los Angeles, California, uh, Women with a Vision in, uh, in New Orleans, Louisiana, um, the AFIA Center in Dallas, Texas. There's a National Black Women's Health Imperative in D.C. So we come together at least once a year to create um, what our policy strategies are going to be, what our organizing strategies are going to be. What's dynamic about the space is that we're able to really pull the best of our strategies and our knowledge together and really talk about how we share them in one room. Okay. And so um, that is really built out of what we, this report and how we developed it. So we had polling data at first, which looked at what are African-American attitudes around abortion access, inter, you know, interpersonal violence uh, against women, um, a number of other issues, abortion access, Comp sex ed, and so we polled communities. We had listening sessions in all of this, all of the cities where our, the organizations are based, and we polled Black women about these issues. They were able to tell us things that we were just not aware of. I think we operate a lot in this movement as if you know, because we're so we have all the information that everyone knows this, but people just do not <laughs> no. know. Uh -huh. So one of the things that was really telling for us is, you know, people were very unaware around how they're being lied to mm. um, by legislators who are not doctors. Right. <laughs> <laughs> what? So that's a thing. And they felt very betrayed. Mm. Um, and when you think about the long history of betrayal in the medical establishment with black women, Start, starting with Dr. J. Marion Sims on the plantation. Um, you know, it has not gotten much better since then. And, you know, places like crisis pregnancy centers don't make it much better. Right. right. <laughs> so um, we wanted to make sure that we created a report that folks could go to um, and use as a resource so that when they do advocate for their rights, that they have accurate information that reflects the lived experiences of black women, girls and femmes. So this is something that people can find today yes, and read. Absolutely. So just go to the website www.black b l a c k r as in reproductive j as in justice org, and you can find the report, which is called "Our Bodies, Our Lives, Our Voices: The State of Black Women in Reproductive Justice." Hey, here it is. I found it. Yes. Okay. As I learned, just do it at a time when you can actually sit down and read it because you're going to want to sit down and read it. So, <laughs> because you know, one of the thing, one of the things that well, there are three things that really motivated this report, which is you know looking at the Affordable Care Act and the healthcare that it provided for millions of Black families across this country. Um, really reflecting on the whole women's health, the Hellerstat, which reaffirmed women's access to abortion. Mm -hmm. um, and looking at the Black Lives Matter movement, which we're very deeply aligned with and connected with, 
um, and lifts up the leadership of queer and youth-led movement building that is necessary right now for our survival. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Awesome. It's deep. <laughs> Trying to survive in these uh-huh. streets. Yep. <laughs> Yes. Yeah. We'll put a, a link to the uh, report in the show notes. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. and I think you guys talked about a lot of. I was on vacation last week, <laughs> so Gabe got to do a lot of fun stuff that um, uh-huh. <clears throat> that you guys talked about last week. But I think one of the things that did, probably didn't get talked about much on on September twelfth because there were like fourteen other things going on that same day. Right. Was that both Cleveland and Toledo? I think that's it. Maybe Cincinnati. I don't. Know. Several cities crossed. Ohio, not Columbus, had their primary local elections that day. Yes, yes, yes. (laughs) So a big part of our work at New Voices for Reproductive Justice is integrated voter engagement. And that is a program that engages uh, women, folks of color in the political process. So we do political education on the issues, not the candidates, because we're a C3 organization. Right. Um, So we make sure that people are registered to vote, that they know who their candidates are, um, and that they understand what issues they're lifting up as important. And we try to get a better understanding through our phone banking, through our canvassing, throughout the year, what issues are actually important to the constituents that people are attempting to represent. And to the degree that those issues are not represented by those legislators, that is where we come in with our policy advocacy, community organizing, and leadership development programs to really push uh, for folks to be accountable. Mm-hmm. To right. their constituents, because that's what this is about. That's why you get their vote. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, and I think one of my biggest frustrations doing the political work we do is how everybody focuses on, oh my God, I got to vote for the president. Yes, yes, yes. And that is such. The environment that we're in now is really pushing us to focus more on the municipal and state elections Mm -hmm. because that is where people live. People live in their cities and they're affected by the policies that happen at the state level. And so that, you know, I don't know how how deeply we're being heard at the federal level, particularly on our issues. Um, It doesn't seem to be very optimistic, but I do feel that we have a lot of power at the local level. Mm -hmm. Um, And so that is what we're really pushing for at New Voices. There's, um, we believe that the local elections are critical, that there's a lot of movement that we can do at the neighborhood level, Mm -hmm. even, um, just to make sure that people in their immediate environment, where they live, where they raise their children, where they work, where they go to school, where they go to church, mm-hmm. you know, that they are safe, that they are protected, that they have the resources and the supports that they need to live full and healthy lives. Right. Yeah. So, I mean, and so and the message that I think all of us wanted, you know, to get across is, you know, who your oh, people are. I mean, I think so often when you get down ticket in these things to, you know, smaller state elections mm-hmm. and those and the local elections, you just don't even know. So yeah. these are people in your community. I mean, if anything, it should be really easy to be able to run into at some point in your area mm-hmm. one of these people who's running. So really learn who your candidates are um, and make sure that you get out and vote this November because whether or not you had a primary last week, election day is in November and, you know, the first Tuesday of November, I don't even remember what the date is this year. It's the 7th. 7th. There you go. <laughs> Jasmine's got it. Very good. Good job. And yes. so, um, 
And so, yeah, get out there and vote. Please for, vote. For mayor in several cities, for city council in most of the cities, and get out there, vote, learn about your candidates, and right. do your duty. Yeah, so this, this brings up two thoughts in my mind. Um, the first being that um, one, one of the complaints uh, that I hear quite frequently about the Democratic Party, uh, especially here in Ohio, um, is that we don't have a deep bench. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we have some great leaders at the top. Sherrod Brown, I think, is like the best U.S. senator that there is. <laughs> um, here in Columbus, I'm very spoiled because we've got Joyce Beatty, who I am thrilled with as, you know, my representative in Congress. Um, in other districts, however, mm-hmm. uh, sometimes, you know, there's a struggle to find, uh, you know, a pro-choice candidate candidate to Mm -hmm. challenge, you know, whoever the incumbent is, or if there's an open seat, are, you know, are we developing good candidates at, you know, Mm -hmm. at that congressional level, the exact same thing happens at the state. Um, And if we, if we start to approach local level candidates with some of this issue advocacy, we help develop city council members, county commissioners, people who are on their way up, uh, get them early, mm-hmm. you know, so that we're not doing, I'm, I'm going to pick on Tim Ryan here, but, you know, he got to Congress and then made the conversion to become a pro-choice candidate. That's terrific. You know, if if we uh, if we had more of that conversation going on when he was state senator, Tim Ryan, mm-hmm. uh, you know, then we would have gotten the benefit of having a pro-choice, uh, you know, elected official that much earlier in the game. Yeah. Um, so, you know, talking with candidates about important issues like this, even if it's not something that they're, you know, voting on right Mm -hmm. away, but just talking with them about the topics, making sure they Mm -hmm. understand what constituencies they're representing, that helps, that's how we create a deep bench. Yeah, that's right. Um, and then, so that was the first thought that came to mind. The second thought was there's this massive conversation about the Democratic Party being a big tent (laughs) <laughs> and <laughs> uh, and and you know should should the party make room for people who don't support abortion rights, um, and so if if your concern is that the Democratic Party is supporting candidates that don't share your values, a great solution is to find organizations that do share your values that are working either to promote issues like New Voices is. Um, or, you know, NARAL, who's working to elect only pro-choice candidates and invest your money there, make your mm-hmm. donations there instead of to a party organization um, that, you know, is is primarily looking to just, you know, continue to be a party. Yes. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's like invest in people who are invested in your humanity. Uh-huh. Invest in organizations that support you living your best life and raising your family and having the resources that you need. Invest in organizations that aren't going to compromise you in any way. I think that there, people are making a lot of compromises mm-hmm. at the expense of real people. <laughs> So <laughs> I think that, you know, I'm, you know, New Voices, we, we have a very strong line. Um, NARAL Pro-Choice Ohio is one of our beloved partners in Ohio. And, um, you know, we really have to, we have to deepen our resolve around our issues, especially for some of our legislators who are wavering in mm-hmm. that way. Yeah. Right. Cool. Yeah, Ugh. let's deep breath. 
right? Yes. <laughs> now, but moving from micro local to massive national issues, mm-hmm. <laughs> there's really no transition there. No, it's all good. <laughs> looking, looking at things uh, that are important at the national level, mm-hmm. um, the you need to learn the name Graham Cassidy Heller. <laughs> Why? Tell us about Graham. <laughs> Graham Cassidy Heller is what you wrote down here as zombie repeal. Um, <laughs> Isn't zombie repeal so much more fun? Right. <clears throat> um, it is. I like it. Well, it's it's the Walking Dead season in uh, Washington D.C. Um, the the Republican Party is taking their next shot at repealing the Affordable Care Act. Um, so I've got a. a, a a long list, I won't read it all here, of things that Graham Cassidy Heller uh, ACA repeal would do. It's going to be an estimated 32 million people uh, losing coverage within 10 years. Uh, This would end Medicaid expansion, end all subsidies for the exchange uh, that get replaced by smaller block grants. Um, but block grants don't have to be spent on the same population. So that's, you know, that's code for shifting money around to Mm -hmm. people uh, that needed that coverage before. Yeah. Um, It's going to cut coverage for low-income seniors, children, and people with disabilities. Um, Ends federal protection on pre-existing conditions, lifetime caps, and essential benefits. Um, And then half of states are expected to follow through. Uh, ends all cost-sharing payments to low-income Americans, ends all funding for coverage by 2026. Uh, I mean, just (laughs) nasty. The list Mm -hmm. goes on and on. Uh, We'll put some of this information in the show notes. But, I mean, these are really terrible things. These are why you need to stop talking about Sean Spicer because (laughs) Graham Cassidy, it's not a name that you know, Uh, but it's going to really, really hurt people. Yeah. So, once again, we need to start calling our senators, call Sherrod Brown and say thank you for always being there and he, you know, make sure that he knows that there's love out there for him and then pick up the phone and make the bad call to Rob Portman and tell him that he needs to make sure people get have access to health care because they're the unfortunately the ones who get the vote in this one. Right. Oh, yeah. <laughs> mm, I mean, you know, it, it's like how can... As I hear you reading all of the things and all of the people who are going to be harmed by mm-hmm. this, mm-hmm. I wonder how they can sleep at night yeah. knowing that they are going to essentially be destroying families. It's disgusting. So I certainly do hope that folks will exercise their right and call their legislators because, you know, I think... You never, you don't think it's going to happen to you until your family shows up for health care and doesn't mm-hmm. have the coverage, and then you're like, "Oh man, I should have called." Don't have any regrets. <laughs> don't have remorse about your advocacy and what you could have done. Just do it. We all, there is no time to be lazy right. about this. Healthcare mm-hmm. is critical. We all know that. We all have loved ones in our families who need it. We all have people who we loved if that need it. So please, 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 do that. Don't right. be lazy. It's just. Yeah. This is not the time, friends. You ask, how do they sleep at night? And I'm guessing that they sleep very comfortably on a king-size bed in a really fancy house paid for by donations from the insurance industry. I bet you're absolutely right, Kay. <laughs> Although uh, I can't imagine even that the insurance industry is, is happy about this shit because, I mean, it's going to kind of really screw them up, too, because it was, you know, the required coverage and those kinds of things that 
made this stuff all work in the first place. But well, yeah, they've no. got a big lobby, so if they want to mm. defeat this, they've got the ability to. Yeah. Um, and and uh, you know, on this list, it it kind of shows where some people's priorities are. Down second from the bottom, targets women's health slash family planning. Mm-hmm. So, <laughs> yeah, it's not like this just affects all people universally. It targets certain populations. Yeah, like the ones who need it the most. But you know, whatever. Right. Yeah. <laughs> why? Why care about those people? Yeah. That's not me. I don't need to care. Right. Right. <laughs> We're a little um, downer today. Yeah, we are. <laughs> so a little jaded. <laughs> yes. And speaking of being jaded, we're about, we're more than halfway into our first year Mm -hmm. under a new presidential administration. (sighs) Right. Uh, Yeah. No, it's, it's been, been a couple months. I can't believe it's almost October. Like that, my my brain is not comprehending that piece of the puzzle for sure. And, and we had a call this morning and I was thinking that we had presented, presented something to legislators like last fall and it was actually January. And so like in a lot of ways it feels like it's been a really long nine months and in other ways it feels like it's been a very short period of time. And mm-hmm. my brain doesn't know quite how to yeah. wrap around the whole thing. Yeah, nine months is a significant number. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like what has this country given birth to? And Bad thing. And, you know, how are people in this country responding to this birth, right? Mm -hmm. We talk about reproduction and it's like we've birthed something really, I don't have a word for it. It's an ugly baby. It's an ugly baby. And there are no ugly babies, friends. (laughs) But this baby is ugly. (laughs) (laughs) And it's hurting a lot of people yes. pretty continuously. Yes, it is. Mm-hmm. Right. So how are we fighting back? <sighs> <laughs> because, you know, resistance is not new. Mm-hmm. Um, our resistance is not new. And I think that if we look historically at how far we've come, mm-hmm. We know that when you are on the side of justice, that you always win. Mm-hmm. It may be not in your lifetime, right? right? Yeah. And so I think that that is what we're rubbing up against. That you know we've had the experience of having certain liberties and freedoms, and being able to move and navigate and understand our rights in a particular way. And now we're being set back to then create something anew Mm -hmm. that um, can hold us in the next century, the next generation, you know, the next, the next in our, you know, in our, our future generations. So I think that that's what I sit with. I sit with um, having the experience of that, of both and understanding that I may not see the beauty that this will become when we do transition power. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think there are, also, the the tiny small victories. There are, yeah. You know, this is a zombie ACA repeal because we, you know, created the zombie <laughs> by killing it, you know, back in the middle of the summer. Or, you know, seeing that people who would have never stepped up and supported the DACA youth 
be like, no, you can't repeal DACA. That's going to hurt too many people. Mm-hmm. And, and seeing that we might actually get something out of it now. Like I'm not right. holding my breath necessarily, but like watching the process kind of happen and see that there is some basement level where like we, there, there is maybe a population that we care enough about not hurting that we might want to do something finally about it, you know? And so kids brought over here when they were, you know, infants, not wanting to deport them to a country that they've never spent more than a, you know, week long break with grandma in, Mm -hmm. you know, might be that basement. And I think that kind of gives me a little bit of, of a step forward you know, and seeing all the people who marched in January and seeing the people who stayed engaged. And that's kind of surprised me. You know, yeah. I was thinking everybody's going to march in January and then they're all going to go back home again <laughs> right. and we're never going to see her from again. Yeah. And people have, you know, not to that degree, but people have stayed engaged mm-hmm. in a way that like we really haven't seen them stay engaged before. Yeah. And frankly, they've done a much better job than I expected them to. I'm paying attention to lots of different things happening. Like <laughs> being able to switch gears yeah. in so many of these things has been, you know, something really interesting to watch. Sometimes sure. I'm still like, come on, that's not what you need to be focused on. But, you know, I'd prefer a little more local yeah. and state focus on some of these things. But no, I think it, it's been, it's been long, but it's also been inspiring in a lot of ways. Right. I want to, speaking of marches, mm-hmm. I wanted to lift up the March for Black Women uh, that's happening on September 30th. And it's it happening in D.C., Washington, D.C. Um, the conveners and organizers of the march are Black Women's Blueprint, uh, BYP 100, and the Trans Sisters of Color Project. So New Voices will definitely be attending that march Um and, you know, given the, the last march that happened um, in January in D.C., I am hoping that we are granted the same level of safety, protection, mm-hmm. and freedom to assemble as those women were. Right. Um, especially because uh, the, what we're calling for is an apology to all black women for centuries of abuses, including sexual violence, reproductive violations, um, we're ensuring econo- we want economic justice. We ha- I don't understand why there are so many studies that happen that show the disparities in income for Black women and white women and Latina women and, and you know and what that looks like on a gender analysis with like men and you, there's still nothing done about it. It's like enough already. Mm-hmm. And to cease and desist with all the threats of deportation of immigrant women across the country. Um, when we think about all of the things that have impacted black women, one of the things that I think about is that is really raw for me is Kanika Jen- Jenkins in Chicago. She was a 19-year-old woman who was a victim of sexual violence, and she they don't know what the results, if she was murdered or what have you, but she is not she she died. And when I think about how people responded to that and just the silence um, around when black women are harmed and that we are typically the only ones who lift up that harm and hold that trauma for each other. Um, this is why this march is important because we have to be very visible. Um, we were visible with our vote and we have been shown um, through this administration, how invisible we actually are. 
Um, we have Congresswoman Maxine Waters, who is really leading an amazing charge. Um, and she says everything that we feel. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and so that has been refreshing. However, um, we all, you know, I think about, I have a 23-year-old cousin who lives in my hometown in Indiana, and I worry about her because I know the racial dynamics in Indiana are a lot harsher mm-hmm. than they are here in Ohio, and it's that's not saying much. Right. But I just, I want to lift up what, how we are fighting back and also the very real concerns around being visible mm-hmm. um, and, and actually assembling. So again... I hope, it is my fervent hope, that we have the same protections um, that the women who marched in the Women's March in D.C. in January had. We have no interactions with vigilantes, that we are protected at the same level, if not more, because the threats are greater. Mm -hmm. Um, So that is my call, and that is what we're doing to resist. And I'm very excited about the march. (laughs) (laughs) Me too. I can't wait to see. Yeah. So uh, there's uh, um, information about this event on the... Uh, New Voices Facebook page under the events. Uh, I just uh, earlier this morning added it to uh, our set of events. So it'll take you to uh, the official Facebook event for the March for Black Women, Saturday, September 30th from 10 a.m. to 10 p.m. Washington, Mm D.C. So get that information. Uh, Should be... A terrific march. <laughs> that will be. It Put that out be. into the universe. It will be a terrific march. I mean, we're just, we're planning to be visible. I mean, seeing all of the things that have come out of the fact that our 94% vote um, was not, has not been acknowledged or held by um, this administration right. has shown that we definitely need to be more visible, vis- more visible than we already are. I mean, we, our, our visibility is undeniable, mm-hmm. but making us visible in a way that actually matters and counts to us is what we're talking about. Right. Um, so, you know, we have nothing to lose <laughs> at this point. We are protecting our families today and for future generations. And so um, we want them to know that we cared about them. Mm-hmm. Right. And that we cared enough about ourselves to fight back. And this should be a peaceful and safe march. I know that Absolutely. you mentioned, um, you know, you mentioned that you uh, have uh, a hope that it's, you know, a, a successful and, yeah, you know, safe event. Considering mm-hmm. last weekend <laughs> when they had the juggalos uh, in front of the Lincoln Memorial and then like two dozen uh, white supremacists down in front of their stage. Uh, if all of those <laughs> events can happen uh, in D.C., uh, then there shouldn't be any reason for uh, D.C. police uh, or mm-hmm. federal agents to uh, see this as anything other than a positive uh, mm-hmm. event coming to uh, coming to Washington. Yeah. Um, you know, as as I look across the country at all the other things going on, demonstrations, um, what's happening in St. Louis right now. So it's good to have a nice, positive event. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, and hopefully it isn't ruined. <laughs> That's the hope. I mean, we are, going, we are coming in peace. We are also coming in resistance mm-hmm. because this is, you know, it's not okay. 
what's happening and I'm not, and, and you know, we're coming to peacefully assemble and to show black women that we care and that we are holding them and that we will fight for them and that we will advocate for them for us. And so I, um, that is our intention. However, you know, there are some very real concerns based on, you know, the ways that we have always assembled peacefully. Mm-hmm. And there has always been a particular reaction to us exercising our rights. So um, I want to encourage those who have cousins in D.C. who maybe work for the FBI or law enforcement to just whisper in their ear. <laughs> if you have a white supremacist cousin, just say, hey, friend, don't do that. Just, just intervene on our behalf. Thank you very much. <laughs> I like that call to action. It's a good one. Thank yeah, you. Sure. Always do that. <laughs> yes, yes. So. Yet, um, you know, Maxine Waters, uh, Congresswoman Waters, has become a terrific voice. Auntie Maxine. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, I, uh, I, I worry though, as as a white guy, there's, um, I see uh, some kind of pushback about. Um, it's it's tough to describe. There's a balance of like, uh, you know, listening to black women, which is a positive thing, but then not putting all of the responsibility mm-hmm. on their shoulders. Mm-hmm. Um, and I heard the same thing uh, in discussions of Michelle Obama mm-hmm. and everyone was saying, oh my God, Michelle Obama needs to run for president. And that would be an amazing positive thing, but not expecting... Michelle Obama to somehow like swoop in and save us all when it's the responsibility of everybody in this country sure. uh, to create positive change and not to put the onus for that on on one you know on one woman mm-hmm. on on one black woman. So um, it's like they want us to experience our oppression and fix it. <laughs> <laughs> Come on, Jasmine. Seriously, like, what's it. your problem? You know. I well, know. and I think it goes back to your election stuff too. <laughs> For so many years, we had relied on black women to save us. I mean, this election was not the first time that white women failed miserably at voting for a decent human being. Um, let's just put it that way. Yeah, and so we, we've relied on black women to save us a lot as a population in elections. And so, yeah, we see that there, too, in the fact that, you know, we don't blame who needs to be blamed. 94% of black I mean, women we tried, we <laughs> yeah. tried to save the world. <laughs> Couldn't overcome the what? 56% of white women. That's right. right. So yeah, I mean, that, that happens on like an individual level with Maxine, a lot of congressman waters mm. and Michelle Obama, but then happens on this population level too, with elections and pov- anti-poverty work mm-hmm. and all of these different things. For sure. Right. For sure. I, I think it's a concept for a lot of white people. It's difficult to kind of wrap their heads around. I couldn't even explain it without tripping over my <laughs> tongue right there. Um, but, you know, it, I think it's something to, to consider. Mm-hmm. For sure. Um, okay. So, March for Black Women, September 30th. Should yes. Mm-hmm. Okay. From good stuff to bad stuff. Yeah. Again. We're, we're kind of like... <laughs> 
bipolar in this. So the seesaw uh, uh-huh. yes. discussion agenda. What <laughs> so, do you have in the bad category? So the Ohio legislature is back, and in general, 90% of the time, that's a bad news. Right. Um, so you guys talked a lot about the Down syndrome abortion bans last week because there was a hearing last yes. week or recording on Tuesday instead of Thursday. So this hasn't happened yet, so we can't really talk about it. But just want to let people know that the Senate kind of pushed pause on their bill, but the House is ramming theirs through. Um, so this, The Senate has pushed pause after hearing terrific testimony. Yes. People didn't get to hear about that in last oh, okay. week's show. Sorry. So yeah, go um, for it. Uh, yeah, because we recorded last week's show before the hearing. Uh, <laughs> Kelly uh, Copeland, our executive director, did a terrific job testifying. Um, the highlight of that uh, um, hearing, though, was... Um, parents who sent in uh, testimony, mm-hmm. um, but then doctors uh, and medical students who stepped up and provided uh, a voice from you know mm-hmm. from the medical community on why this Down syndrome ban is not based um, in you know any sort of uh, medically beneficial or scientifically thought out reasoning. Um, and so they were providing some expert testimony on why this bill. Um, should not move forward. Mm-hmm. That's what happened in the Senate um, uh, that we didn't have a chance to talk about yeah. last week. Uh, there's video. We'll put a link to the video if you want to watch the hearing. Uh, it was really great. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was last week. Yes. So now this week. Sorry. So now Please this continue. Week. Yeah. Sorry. I thought you guys talked about last week. No. Um, and so this week the House is going to have the second hearing. So it's just supporters of the bill testifying. So that will happen um, tomorrow morning, Wednesday morning. Um at 9 a.m. and then stay tuned because most likely 99% sure opponent testimony will happen the following Wednesday on 927. So 927 at 9 a.m. we'll probably do a crowd build and get supporters there um, for the opposition testimony hearing. We'll make a Facebook event, so just kind of keep an eye on our Facebook page. The House bill and the Senate bill are identical. It's really nothing different, but and but the Senate can't pass their bill and the House can't pass their bill and then like make it work. Like one of the other chambers is going right. to have to. They don't merge together. Yes. So you know we, we'll still have to go through the other chamber with the other bill, depending on which one moves faster than the other one. So stay tuned for updates right. on that bad abortion bill. Um, and then on the kind of connected with the. ACA zombie repeal bill, um, the zombie that keeps coming back in Ohio um, of dismantling Ohio's Medicaid expansion program is also now being talked about again. Um, It was in the budget bill to phase out the Medicaid expansion. Kasich line item vetoed that out of the bill to preserve Medicaid expansion. The House went through and did a whole bunch of veto overrides in June. That was not one of them. So we preserved Medicaid expansion through that round, but they're now talking about bringing the House back and doing another veto override of that protection of the Medicaid expansion. So they're negotiating that too. So we'll see if millions of people in Ohio will lose access to their Medicaid coverage because Ohio legislators are being jerks. So So those two things are happening in the Ohio State House this week. Fun. Yay. 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 (laughs) It'd be nice if good things happened in there. But stay tuned for that, too. Someday. (sighs) We're going to make sure that good things Uh, happen there. We're pushing. Yep. We're pushing, friends. Mm -hmm. Okay. 
so while we're on the topic of events, uh, should we talk about things happening outside the state house? Sure. And let's get it on. Mm-hmm. Um, on September 25th, uh, up in Cleveland, the feminists um, are having their uh, September meeting. Uh, this is on our Facebook page. Uh, as always, link in the show notes. Uh, if you'd like to knit or crochet or do things with yarn uh, and are pro-choice, this is your event. Or if you just want to hang with other pro-choice people at Prosperity Social Club and hang out, that's cool too. Yes. Um, on September 25th. Uh, information in the show notes. Um, on September 30th, an Akron CPC protest. Mm-hmm. Uh, do you want to talk about that? Yeah, so we did a couple of these in Columbus and Cincinnati, I don't know, a month and a half ago. Sure. Now. And so this is just kind of a spread of that. So we're going to um, protest outside of one of the crisis pregnancy centers um, in Akron that provides really misleading, bad information. Um, and just make sure that people understand what kind of facility this is. This is not a healthcare facility and actually provide information on where people can go to get healthcare, um, in the Akron area. Right. Uh, and then the last thing here, we took these out of chronological order. Yes. Um, uh, September 26th, preterm gets their day in court in front of the Ohio Supreme Court. Yes. Uh, that's at 9 a.m., um, so, you know, two weeks ago we had our, our first day, mm-hmm. was that just last week? Um, last week. Yeah. <laughs> we had our, our, our first ever, um, hearing in front of the state Supreme court. Um, so, uh, you know, the court meets at 9am it's on front street in downtown Columbus. If you'd like to attend, it's an open court mm-hmm. hearing, um, it's it's a little bit more subdued than the state house, so it's not a yeah. sign and t-shirt sort of thing. No. Um, it's really sort of a just show up and sit in the back and watch and listen. Mm-hmm. Um, but, it, you know, it's interesting. Uh, the oral arguments uh, are, are timed, uh, so it's just each side presenting somewhere around 15 minutes mm-hmm. of testimony plus questions. So the entire thing, if it starts at 9 a.m., I'm not sure that we're the first case in yeah, the docket. Yeah, it might be second. Um, but each case takes somewhere between 30 to 45 minutes and then it's done mm-hmm. and you're out. So, yeah. uh, so that should be interesting. Mm-hmm. And that's not even an argument on the merits of the case yet. They're actually arguing still whether or not preterm has standing to even bring the case. So yeah. it'll be a little bit, oh. yeah, it'll be even a little bit different. Um, cause preterm is challenging the heartbeat bill restrictions. So the re- mandatory ultrasound and the telling a woman a heart fetal heartbeat exists. And then the medically ambiguous information on whether or not the pregnancy will continue to viability that was passed in the 2013 budget. Um, and our state is trying to argue that the, um, that preterm doesn't have standing because they say that, um, it won't force, force them to close. It'll force them to do stupid things they shouldn't have to do, but it won't close them. So they don't have standing to bring the case because they're not going to be forced to close. It's complete BS, but whatever. Right. So, yeah, so even if, like, we win at this level, they're going to have to go back and start, like, actually arguing the case. And, again, this has been a case that we filed in 2013. Jeez. So, yeah, it took us four years to get to this point. God knows how much longer it's going to take to actually finish the freaking case. Right. Okay. Yay! So much fun. (laughs) Uh Uh-huh. Okay. Uh, I think that's all we got. Uh, Mm -hmm. Jasmine, where can people find more information about New Voices? Mm -hmm. You can go to our website at www.newvoicespittsburgh.org. Um, we are also very active on all social media. Um, we have an Instagram page, so it's New Voices PGH. 
Um, we have multiple fa- Facebook pages <laughs> and Twitter accounts that you can follow for New Voices Cleveland, Philly, and Pittsburgh. We're very easy to find. Cool. Yay. And we'll put links to those in the show notes. <laughs> so, awesome. Okay. Thanks for yes. coming by. Thank you, Gabe. Yeah. Right. <laughs> Thank you, You're Jamie. Always, always welcome. Okay. We'll talk to everybody next week. Bye. Bye. Bye.